Hello, everyone. Welcome to Next Level Coaching with Rick Rass here. I'm very excited that you're here today, and I'm even more excited that you're ready to take your life to the next level. Welcome, everyone, to podcast number five. I'm really excited about this program because we have a special guest with us today, Minnesota Gopher men's gymnastics coach, Mike Burns. Coach Burns, I'm really honored and excited to have you here today. My pleasure. I sure appreciate you taking the time, and I know the audience will learn a little bit about you and a little bit about the program at the University of Minnesota. I've had the privilege of working with Coach Burns and the Minnesota Gopher men's gymnastics team for the last six or seven years. Gymnastics is one of those sports where you can't really think about it unless you think about the word determination. Just amazing athletes, and at this level, you can't watch them without being thoroughly impressed. Mike, I'd like to start first by just finding out a little bit about your background. I know you're a huge Boston Red Sox fan. What is up with that? Well, it's because I'm from Boston. When you're born in Boston, Rick, there's something about our DNA that you just grow up loving the Red Sox and you have to hate the Yankees. You can't live there if you like the Yankees. So and all of you <laughs> Yankee fans out there, I apologize in advance, but I hope you continue to listen. It's nothing personal. It's just in my DNA. I have no control over it, actually. Gosh, that's pretty funny. I think us Minnesota Twins fans would probably feel the same way. But you were born out east. I was born in uh, the late 50s, born in Brighton, Massachusetts, which is right across the Charles River from Cambridge. That was my dad's hometown. We lived in a duplex, and my papa, grandpa, uh, Daniel Burns, he lived upstairs. Then me and my mom and brothers and sisters and dad lived downstairs. And that was like a family house for a long time. So we lived there till I was about in the first grade. And then we moved out to my mom's hometown, which is in Norwood, Massachusetts, which is probably 20 minutes away, kind of heading down towards Foxborough, where that, that other great team from Massachusetts played, so the New England Patriots, right? In the years that I was growing up, the Red Sox and the Patriots were not outstanding. You know, the Red Sox had the curse of the Bambino that had been going on for years. And, and in my younger days, so 1967, I'm nine years old. We make it to the World Series. It's like the impossible dream. Anyway, the St. Louis Cardinals just spank us and beat us bad in the World Series. I'm like, oh man, okay. But we made it to the World Series, but we just came up short. And then the next decade, the 70s, we make it in 1975, which was like the fall of my senior year in high school. And I remember we used to work out before we could get into our gymnastics gym at our high school. We used to work out at this YMCA about three towns away. And one of my coaches would drive us all down there. I think that at that point I was driving myself. So anyway, I come home and the Red Sox are playing the Cincinnati Reds. And my mom, who was a diehard Red Sox fan, she's waiting up for me, you know, and the game is on. And I walk in and it's, I don't know if you remember this, Carlton Fisk hits this home run, but we weren't sure if it was going to be a home run because it was heading towards the, the, the foul pole. And he's down the first baseline. Yeah. And there he goes. He's oh. like, oh my God. So, Oh, wow. Who can't remember that one? I wish everybody could see your hand motions there. That's awesome. My mom and I are doing the Irish jig in the living room, right? <laughs> and uh, But then the Reds go on to beat us. I'm like, oh, man, two decades and two losses in the World Series. And then we moved to 1986, which is the uh, Red Sox against the Mets. There was a famous, uh, infamous Bill Buckner ground ball through the yeah. first of his legs, right? And the Mets go on to win that game and tie up the series, and then they go on to win the series. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. And that game was actually the same night that my younger sister got married. And so we're at the wedding at the reception, like they're doing the wedding dance and the, you know, the, the whole thing, the garter and all that. But we're all at the bar watching the game on the TV. 
because well, what's more important than the Red Sox in the World Series? I mean, right. a family wedding's pretty close. Gosh, anyone who's been born after 1986 has probably seen that Bill Buckner play in that series, if they're into sports at all. After that series, it was rough for him. He had like death threats and he had to move oh out of state God. and everything. So it was, it was rugged. You know, isn't it amazing, Rick, how the fortunes, good or bad, of your professional teams kind of drive the emotion of a whole city, a whole state, a whole region, you know? That's the beauty. It's kind of a double-edged sword of sports, right? Because you get behind them and, and you want that... You want that ability to cheer for your teams. and But every year, almost every team, with the exception of one, is disappointed. And I've had many moments of disappointment in my coaching career, my athletic career. And one thing I found out about disappointment, it's really, really high-octane fuel for motivation. A few years ago, 2018, we, were, we had a really good team. And it was, uh, it was Shane Wiskus's freshman year. And we went to the Big Ten Championships expecting to win it. We come back in fifth place. It was a, we just had a bad meet, you know, and it was super disappointing. We came back and, and our goal for the national championships, which was two weeks later, was to uh, make it into the top four. We didn't know if we had enough firepower to win, but we thought, all right, top four, come home with a hardware, big team trophy. We wanted to be in the top four. So the beautiful thing about this high octane fuel of disappointment is our guys came back and we had this goal of top four at NCAs written on the prior racer board, right by the pommel horse. They came in and they erased it and they said top three. And I was like, that's pretty bold, you know? Okay, so that's yeah. that's the high octane fuel of disappointment uh, driving some action. And that's a pretty cool thing. So anyway, we go to the NCAA championships and what do we do? We end up second. So it was even better. So it kind of was a, a rough start in the championship season. And then it turned out to be a pretty amazing thing. I, I don't think I've ever seen a happier second place team. Oh, yeah. I wasn't at the UIC Pavilion in Chicago for that beat, but I can still remember some of the videos posted on Facebook of those guys celebrating. But it is crazy to go from taking fifth in the Big Ten championships and then placing second in the national championships. Well, it's crazy because there's so little room for error. You know, we're, we're a pretty high perfection sport. And what I try to do when I coach gymnastics is I try to have guys figure out how to expand their range of success on every scale, every routine. Because if this is how narrow your scope of be successful is on a particular skill, say, and the chances that it happened like that all the time, probably pretty slim. So if you can, if you can expand your range of variation on a particular skill, like, okay, I'm, I'm leaning a little too far right. Well, I've done that before. I've trained through that. I can just push a little bit harder to get back on balance. And it's all about balancing in our sport, supporting and balancing and, and things like that, which is complex. But at the end of the day, it, you know, these guys have been doing a sport a long time, so it becomes second nature. It's like anything, you know, none of us knew how to walk at one point in our lives, right? But we all figured it out. So if you end up walking on your hands a lot, you know, figure that out too. But, you know, that's really, I think the key to success in, in my sport is how to increase your range of variation and still achieve success. And the, the wider the range of variation, the better chance you have of succeeding. Wow, Mike, that's good stuff. And that ability to be successful is so much influenced by how somebody handles pressure. I think Scott Hamilton said, under pressure, people perform 15% better or 15% worse. That 30% is a wide swing. That's a range. Yeah, that's a big range. And to have that mental toughness to come back, maybe after a disappointment, like the meat you described, and then come back and take it to the next level. It's awesome. Absolutely. As they say... On the back of my clipboard that I carry daily, taking it to the next level. Yes. Mike, let's back up just a little bit. Tell us a little bit about how you got started in gymnastics. 
Well, my brother, who's three years older than me, was on the high school gymnastics team. So when I was in eighth grade, I would come up to the gym on Saturday mornings for their practices. And I was basically just an eighth grade nuisance, right? Oh, it's Danny's little brother, you know, whatever. And I would just bounce on the trampoline and kind of have seat drop wars with other guys in the team. And I would do that for a couple of weeks. And then the coach came over to me one day and he goes, hey, Mike, yeah, coach. How would you like to learn a backflip? I said, are you kidding me? My eyes are like this. Yeah, I'd love to, right? So he ended up getting up on the trampoline with me and going through all the drills and what I needed to do. And lo and behold, he spotted me through my first backflip in eighth grade. And I was hooked. I was like, this is the best thing ever. So I would still come up on Saturday mornings. You know, I would go to the meets and a couple of kids that were on the team with my brother. They had older brothers that were gymnasts that went to Boston State College. They were on the team there. So every so often we'd go into Boston and, and see one of these meets, you know. And one time we went in and Southern Connecticut State College was having a meet with Boston State College. And Southern Connecticut was coached by this amazing Olympic gymnast turned Olympic coach by the name of A.B. Grossfeld, who has since become a really close friend of mine. He's in his mid to late 80s now, sharp as a tack. He can like tell you scores that you had that you can't remember in meets that you were in back, you know, 35, 40 years ago. He's an icon in our sport and he has the most amazing stories, you know. But anyway, I would go into these Boston State College meets and see see the Southern Connecticut team and go, wow. And he's put a lot of guys on Olympic teams and, you know, national champs in the NCAA championships and things like that. So that was sort of the beginning of it, you know, and I really started to grow uh, fond of the sport. And, um, so then when I went to ninth grade, there was a ninth grade classmate of mine and his older brother was on the team as well. So after school, the two of us would walk up to the high school and start practicing. We didn't really know how to do anything, but we just started to, you know, let's get on the pommel horse. And, you know, the coach was great. He let us come in and he got, to, he had known us for a while. So, you know, I started to play around in the sport. I wasn't really serious at all, but I really liked it, you know, and I, but I couldn't do much. Then 10th grade rolls around and I'm in high school now and I try out for the team and we didn't have a very good team. So I was, I made it, right? They, they <laughs> let me stay. <laughs> I'm sure you're just being humble. No, I'm not. I'm not at all. I'm being just actually very truthful. <laughs> so basically my start was in 10th grade, but I had a little bit of smattering of it a few years prior. In that particular year, the high school hired a new coach because the coach from before he retired, he was a math teacher slash gymnastics coach, and he retired. And so they hired this new guy by the name of Jimmy Perry. And he was a gymnast from Boston State College. And we're like, holy smokes, I went and saw this guy, right? So he's our new coach. And he was a Norwood High School gymnast back in the day as well. We got pretty engaged in the sport and it was just a lot of fun. And I learned a lot that first year and I got better, you know, but I still wasn't very good. And I remember finding out how to compete and I couldn't do a whole lot. My routines were pretty basic. But as the course of time went on, I remember this happened. It was sometime after my junior year. And my dad, who did a lot of work away from home, so he wasn't around a lot. He's like, hey, Mike, what do you think about going to one of these local summer gymnastics camps? I'm going, what do you know about local summer gymnastics camps? <laughs> right? And he goes, no, I've been reading up on this. And, and there was one up in Massachusetts. So we drove up there one Saturday afternoon. And it was at this uh, boarding school. And they had this giant giant semi-enclosed skating rink and they had 350 kids a week at this camp and we drive in there i'm looking at it going you gotta be kidding me. and who did i see ab grossfeld was there coaching right the guy from southern connecticut and all of his gymnasts were there i'm like this is like a gold mine so anyway i signed up for camp and the summer before my senior year i go to summer camp for four weeks and it was like the hardest i'd ever worked i was sore every day but i improved a ton 
I met a lot of amazing people, coaches and gymnasts from UMass and Springfield and Southern Connecticut, like I mentioned. And that was the thing that just kind of hooked me into the sport was the people. Because like the things that you do, Rick, you know, there's a certain level of the need to push yourself to get to the next level. And I saw that every day at camp, you know, and I, I started to push myself to get to that next level. So my senior year in high school was so much better. I actually kind of knew what the sport was about. I had better coaching and it was just, um, so it was a lot of fun. And I remember making it to state meet that year. And that was like the highlight of my high school career. So I'm thinking, I want to go to college. And there was a, there was a bunch of programs in the New England area. UMass had a program, Southern Connecticut, but I was no way good enough to go to Southern Connecticut, right? Uh, New Hampshire had a program. I think Dartmouth had a program, but I didn't know if I could get into Dartmouth. So I'm applying to these schools and I'm going, I don't know what I'm going to do. I had no clue about recruiting. I was just like, I'll go to that school and go out for the team, you know? <laughs> so that one afternoon, the ABC Wild World of Sports is on. You know, the agony of defeat, the guy. <laughs> the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Yeah. So they're having a gymnastics meet at Penn State University. And it was the U.S. team against some team that Gene Whetstone, the coach at Penn State, had brought in from like the University of Cologne or somewhere in Central Europe. You know, they just brought this team in. So anyway, ABC Wild World of Sports is there and they're broadcasting this thing. And every time they would come back from a commercial break, they would go, well, let's see a little history of Penn State gymnastics. And they did this like collage of Penn State gymnastics. And Gene Whetstone was this another amazing coach that I had never heard about. So after I watched the meet on Wide World of Sports, I go, I'm going to Penn State. That place looks awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I had seen on the broadcast that it was like, wow, they've really got a good program. They're really strong. They got a lot of national team guys and Olympians and the whole thing, right? I'm thinking, wouldn't that be a great place to go? So I apply. I get in. I convince my parents to let me go there. And I go down for summer orientation. And I find the gymnastics gym. And uh, we'll back up about a few months from that. And Penn State had won the national champ, the NCAA Division I national title as a team. My senior year in high school, I'm going, wow, these guys are really good. So long story short, I run into the assistant coach by the name of Tom Dunn. And he's walking through the gym and I'm walking in the gym. I go, oh, I know this guy. I said, hey, you're coach Tom Dunn, aren't you? He goes, yeah. I said, I'm Mike Burns. I'm, uh, I'm from Boston area and I'm coming to school here in the fall. I'm going to try out for the team. And I remember this like it was yesterday. He gives me this once over, <laughs> looking me up and down. He goes, well, we got a really good team. I said, oh, I know you two. You guys are national champs. I mean, I mean, we're like a really good team. And I didn't, I wasn't catching his drift. Like, we're so good that you don't, you don't have a snowball's chance of hell <laughs> a team, kid. You know, <laughs> so didn't catch on. So I asked him, I said, well, what events do you need help on? Because I'm an all-rounder, but I'm better on a few events. He goes, well, pommel horse and is an event. So that summer, I just worked my tail off on pommel horse, right? And by the time I got to Penn State, I was good enough to do like five circles in a row. <laughs> <laughs> so I walk in and I, you know, get situated in my dorm and the whole thing. And there was no recruiting at all. It was just like, I'm coming to Penn State and I'm going to be on the team, right? So I remember knocking on, on the coach's door. And the old coach, Gene Whetstone, I had mentioned before, had retired the year they won their national championship, my senior year in high school. So we got the new coach. His name is Carl Schwentzfire. He was a former gymnast and Olympian from Penn State who then went into the Air Force, coached at the Air Force Academy for, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years. And then he got hired by Penn State to replace Gene Whetstone. And he was a 76 Olympic head coach. So anyway, I knock on the door. Come on in. 
I opened the door. I said, excuse me, my name is Mike Burns, and I was wondering if it might be possible for me to try out for the gymnastics team. And he goes, son, anything's possible. I go, I like this guy. <laughs> so then I look over in the corner, standing against the wall, having, having, I had just interrupted their conversation was Gene Whalen, who was like one of the Olympians from 1976. He's from New Hampshire originally, went to UMass and he transferred to Penn State and he's standing five feet from me. And I'm like, ah, my jaw hit the crown. I'm going, oh my God, I got posters of him at my, at home, you know, hanging on the wall. So Carl goes, hey, Gene, why don't you take Mike down to the locker room, get him hooked up in the locker room. We'll get him into the gym. He's like, okay, sure. Come on, you know, come on. So we're walking down the hall. He's asking me where I'm from. I'm from Boston. He goes, oh, no way. I'm from New Hampshire. I said, yeah, I know everything about you. <laughs> so anyway, he gets me situated. I come into the gym. I, I stick my head inside the door and I look around and there's all this activity going on. And the first thing I said to myself was, you made a huge mistake coming here, dude. You don't have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know, Mike. I have a feeling this is probably another situation where you're being pretty humble. But you'd watch these guys. You had posters up on your wall. You had to know that with some work, you could get to that level. So what'd you think? What was your plan? So I just said, all right, I'm going to have to close my mouth, open my ears, open my eyes, and work as hard as I can. And I could do a couple of things fairly well, but I wasn't very strong. And I wasn't I didn't have much coaching in high school at higher level stuff. So I was starting pretty much at ground zero. I tell people, I said, well, the good thing about not being able to do anything was I didn't have any bad habits because I, I couldn't do anything. At that point, I started to learn things properly. And not to say that my coaches in high school weren't able to teach, but I wasn't very capable, you know. Anyway, long story short, I went from barely being able to do anything to making the first cut. And Carl, the coach, something about me, he saw something in, right? And he gave me the chance. And funny story, him and Tom Dunn, who was the assistant coach that I had ran into the, earlier in the summer, he said, Tom, we got to talk about some cuts. We got to cut some of these guys in the gym. We got too many guys in the gym trying out. We got to cut some guys. So what does Tom say? He goes, Mike Burns, he's got to go. He's the first guy to go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <clears throat> and Carl's like, nope, he's staying. Anybody can do a backdrop, triple twist on the trampoline. He's got some skill. He's got some potential. I'm going to keep him. And Tom's like, why? He can't do anything. No, nah, I think I, I see a future in him. So flash forward four years later after I graduate, and who hires me to be his assistant coach at the University of Iowa? Tom Dunn. <laughs> the guy who wanted to cut me, right? Uh, I bet you never let him hear the end of that. <laughs> you know what? Both of these guys, Carl and Tom both, gave me amazing opportunities. And Carl as an athlete at Penn State and being part of a, an amazing team. And then Tom at Iowa gave me my first coaching job. And both of those guys are like two of my heroes in my life because of the opportunities they gave me. And not so sure I deserved them. Uh, maybe I did, you know, but they saw something in me that, and here I am 40 some years later, you know, the head coach at the University of Minnesota. So it's a kind of an interesting historical perspective of how I got to where I'm at. You have definitely shared some great stuff, Mike, and makes me think a little bit about, you know, what your coaches saw in you. And over the years, all the recruiting that you have done for young gymnasts coming to the University of Minnesota. What do you look for in them? What are the characteristics or attributes that may lead you to believe that, hey, this guy has something, something about this guy? There's a lot of things, but I think some of the really important things are, and this is an interesting dynamic because you got a, an older guy, coach, authority figure talking to a 17-year-old high school kid, right? And that's, that's a pretty, pretty big power dynamic in a way. 
So I'd like to think that I'm pretty approachable, easy to talk to, and I, I try to make that the case in, in recruiting calls. But I tell you, one of the things that I really admire about kids is those who can carry on a, a good conversation with an adult. I think that's really important. And I always talk about this, but you know, this 17-year-old kid, he's as old as he's ever been, right? And I'm, I'm at whatever my age is, I'm as old as I've ever been. But I got a whole lot more life experience than this young kid does. But he's obviously gotten to a point in his gymnastics career that his gymnastics itself has attracted coaches to want to recruit him. That's the first step. So, okay, you look at the talent. Then you go, okay, well, what's he like? And like when I go to a, a big gymnastics meet, I like to watch how a kid manages himself with his coach after a disappointment. I look for that. And the kid who comes over and is willing to have a conversation with the coach versus the kid who's just like taking his wristbands off and throwing his grips down. Uh, you know, that means a lot to me because that guy probably won't see the benefit of the high octane fuel of disappointment, right? All he sees is I'm disappointed and I'm better than this. And what, ah, you know, and, and then often you get kids who start to blame others for their mistakes, right? <laughs> well, because of this, because of this. But body language, I think from a distance is really an important thing to do. And our sport's a very interesting sport because I think it attracts a lot of introverted people because it's not a team sport, right? And it's something that little kids can do versus kids that are like massively big at a, at a young age, right? Football, basketball type players. So, but then when they get out there in competition, they're out there all by themselves. They don't have a team around them when it's time to raise your hand and do your routine. It's all what you've got inside. And, and that's a hard thing to develop. So a kid who can develop that at a younger age either has just like an amazing ability but he also has this awareness, a self-awareness of who he is as a person, right? And how he can manage what he's capable of managing. You hear it all the time. You control what you can, you know, you, you focus on what you can control and the things you can't control. You know, don't spend a lot of time on it because it's just wasted energy, right? So you look for those kids who have a certain level of, you know, they kind of walk out to compete and they look like they know what they're doing, right? And there's, there's a whole bunch of guys that maybe don't look that way. But every so often you'll find this like diamond in the rough guy who's like, wow, that guy's pretty powerful. He's really strong. He's got some weak areas, but I want to talk to him, you know? And then when you have the conversation, you get on the phone with him or a Zoom call or whatever, then you start to peel away the onion and see what this kid's like as a person. Because if you're going to recruit him and have him come to your school, you're going to be around him a lot, you know, for the next four years. And you, you hope that that turns into a good relationship. And uh, I tell you this last summer, Rick, the kids that I was recruiting, you know, before we found out our program was going to be dropped, we were recruiting pretty heavy. We're losing Shane Wiskus this year and Henry Meeker and Colton D and Russell Johnson. A pretty, pretty big chunk of our team is graduating. We got to get some talent refill here. But I tell you what, I don't think I had as much fun talking to high school seniors as I've ever had this year. These kids blew me away with their, not only their gymnastics ability, I would have conversations with some of these kids for 90 minutes easy. And about maybe 10 minutes was about gymnastics. And the rest of it was about coaching philosophy, you know, learning. I'm a real fan of the learning process. I think the learning process is fascinating. Like, how do you learn stuff? How do you, how do you go out and decide after you've been playing volleyball for a hundred years that you want to jump in a kayak and start doing acrobatic stuff on this giant wave. I mean, that's just nuts, right? But you saw something that you wanted to do and you found a way to do it. Honestly, Rick, I look at life as a very simple equation. It's like, first of all, most people know how to plan. So you plan ahead. But a lot of times things don't go according to plan, right? And seldom do they go according to plan. 
So you better be ready to adjust on the fly. And if you don't have the ability to adjust on the fly, it's kind of like we talked earlier about this range of variation on skills. If this is your range of variation on a skill and you're not in that range, probably going to fall off the pommel horse, right? But if you've expanded your range of variation because you've trained through moments of adversity and not let the emotional spike that that creates throw you into like a different level of consciousness, if you will, like you got to be able to control again, what you can control. And that's your, that's like your effort and your attitude, right? Those are the two main things you can control. I had this awesome conversation with a, one of our pommel horse guys a couple of years ago when he came in as a freshman. And I said, you know, when you're swinging every so often on this particular sequence, you know, you'll hit your shin on the pommel or something like that. What it does is it creates this emotional spike. It was kind of like a little, I drew this little like EKG thing on the, <clears throat> on the dry eraser board. I said, then you hit your shin. It's like off the charts. Right. And what happens is it comes up and it bounces and it's, and it does this for the rest of the routine. You're trying to get back on track, but you got this emotional spike. Like your brain has gone into hyperdrive going, oh my God, I hit my shin. My circle's off. Ah! And I go, what you got to learn how to do is, is when you have that emotional spike, realize that it's happened before. I've been through this. It's not the end of the world. Get back on track. So you try to find a way to like bring that amplitude down of the spike because you're going to get spikes all the time. I'm sure you get them when you're on a, I don't know, a crazy raging river, right? You get these emotional spikes because, but you found a way to tap into that emotion and it's the adrenaline that you've tapped into and found a way to like tap into that power of, of that kind of motivation of adrenaline. It's like, you're kind of an adrenaline junkie, I think, aren't you, Rick, maybe? Yes. And the kayaking is a good fit, but I love what you're saying about learning. That's what the next level is all about is learning. And in, in that process, you're going to have setbacks. You're going to face adversity. You're going to get frustrated. But what I really hear you saying is how are you going to respond? You know, yeah. train yourself to deal with those circumstances in a positive way. And like you kind of said earlier, use it as a fuel to drive you. Well, the other thing, we had three dual meets earlier in the year. Then we had a break to go into the Winter Cup. We had actually two weekends off of competition for most everybody, except the guys who went to Winter Cup, which is just three guys. And then we had Penn State this weekend. So that was our first meet for a lot of the guys in, in three weeks. And I was a little nervous about that because I'm going, is that going to, are they going to be rusty? But we had a lot of problems to solve during that three-week period. And one of our main problems was our, our dismount landings were not very good. We didn't stick many landings. We had a bunch, we had several guys fall down on their landings. You know, it's like, dude, we can't be falling down on our landings. You guys are better than that. This is how I coach and I preach this. I said, you know, life can be broken up into a very simple three-step process. Identify the problem, find a solution, implement the solution. Life is simple if you make it simple, right? Those three steps can, you can deal with any part of your life, you know, whether it's gymnastics training or academics or relationships or finances, you know, all right, oh, I got a problem. I don't have enough money. Okay. That's the problem. Huh? Let's find a solution. Oh, I'll make more money or spend less, you know, you don't have too many options there. Right. So anyway, I I've been preaching this, you know, it's like, Hey, we got to identify the problem and find a solution. And you guys are now at a point in your life where you've always been told what the solution is and I'll help you discover the solution, but you need to find that solution on your own. And my other coaching philosophy is I have you for four years. And when you come in, you need me a lot. And when you leave, you better not need me at all. And if you don't need me at all, I've done my job. But if you still need me, I didn't do my job in those four years. My job is to provide as many tools for you to put in your little toolbox that you came to school with no tools in it. I'm, I'm yeah. thinking everybody comes to school with a toolbox that's empty. My job is to fill that toolbox with tools to solve problems. 
That is really what my last podcast was all about. I even said that some coaches overcoach. The best coaches are the ones who get their athletes to coach themselves. One of the best ways to learn something is to teach yourself. Got to get those athletes engaged in that process. Give them those tools like you're talking about, and they can figure it out themselves. As coaches um, and teachers, I guess, you know, we're, our job is to teach, right? So you feel like you have to do it all the time. And, and honestly, sometimes less is more at times. So I coach by asking a lot of questions. I said, what'd you feel on that? Or did you, what'd you see on that? Questions are definitely a great way to get people engaged in that process. Is there anything else, Mike, that you do in the practice environment to get your athletes thoroughly engaged and figuring out how they can go to that next level? Well, I read this book called The Energy Bus by John Gordon. I don't know if you ever read that, but he talks about um, purpose and passion and things like that, you know, in, in what you do. I actually had this sign made that's in the gym. It's like, Purpose, passion, positivity, and enthusiasm. And I think if you can come into the gym with, with at least two of those every day, you're going to probably have a pretty good day. You know, if you come into the gym with none of them, it's going to be a rough day. And if you come into the gym with all four of them, holy smokes, you're going to have a killer day, I think. I love that. And if an athlete does their part to get their teammates on board with having those killer days, that's priceless. Well, I think it's really important, Rick, that people in a group, whether it's an athletic team or a group at work or whatever, you try to keep your ego at bay and you do what you can to lift those around you up to a higher level. And I think that's really important. You know, the old adage, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. That reminds me, Mike, of one of the activities I did with your guys where they pulled each other across the floor on the gunny sacks. I call it the NASCAR challenge. The point behind that particular activity was the power of pulling for each other and how a lot of teams miss out on the power of encouragement. Well, you know, Rick, you've been working with our team and we weren't able to do it this year, obviously, but um, for, I don't know, five or six years now, maybe more. It would have been seven this year. Yeah. And I remember you had reached out to me several times prior to us finally saying, yeah, let's give it a shot. You know, I really didn't know much about you, right? I didn't do my research. I'm going, okay, we're going to get together and do some team building. Yeah, I think that'd be cool, kind of cool. And I talked to some people and they were like, oh, this guy's great. You know, you had a lot of people saying you should work with this guy. So anyway, long story short, I, I call you up and we set up a time. And uh, after that first time, I was hooked. I loved what you did. I loved your enthusiasm. I loved how you you gained people's focus, right? And and you challenged them. Like, are you sad? I mentioned I mentioned to the guys today at the end of practice. Oh, I'm doing a podcast with Rick Razier tonight. And Danny Yoon just goes, "Are you satisfied?" <laughs> and like, oh my god. So it's stuck, right? It's stuck. Yeah. And, and that's a great question. Are you satisfied? I ask that quite a bit during training sessions. I often say that satisfaction and complacency are two of the scariest words in the English language. And people slip into that satisfaction mode, sometimes without even knowing it, when they could be so much better. On another note, Mike, and I'm not sure if you really want to touch on this subject, but I'm sure you're not satisfied with the university's decision last fall to drop the program. Uh, some of the saddest news I've heard all year. Can you share some thoughts about it? Um, it was pretty, it was a pretty bad situation, you know, and, and it was hard for me to stick to my philosophy as, of, you know, as bad as it seems now, it's going to be better in a couple of days. Well, that this thing never really got better, right? It's happened to a lot of sports and it's happened to a lot of gymnastics programs, but I've always dodged that bullet until this year, you know, so the bullet found me and it's like, this is a pretty drastic moment, right? I'm going to be okay, but I, I really feel for the guys on the team because it's just like they, they took something that they really loved and they just took it away from them. 
And uh, I mean, same for me, but I'm a firm believer that no matter what goes on, I'm going to land on my feet somewhere. I'm a gymnast. How can I not land on my feet, right? <laughs> Life's an equation. Okay. So a guy puts in a commitment to the University of Minnesota and the, and the University of Minnesota has put in a commitment to them. And that's a nice, even thing, right? And then one side drops off of that commitment equation. All of a sudden it's like, whoa, what happened, you know? And regardless of what the reasons are and all the issues and all of that, you still got some young kids who are as old as they've ever been having to go through a pretty serious, tumultuous, emotional event. And uh, I give these guys a ton of credit for being able to be as resilient as, as they've been, uh, being willing to do what we've asked them to do. But at the same time, you can see that little edge where you're going, it's kind of a little thing. Do I really want to do this? Yeah, I do. And that comes up every so often. You know, I can, it's not like... They said that, but you can almost sense it a little bit, right? This weekend with the Penn State meet was a great experience for these guys. And for me too, and for the people that got a chance to watch it because they competed with passion, man. They competed with passion. It was awesome. And, and it wasn't like, oh, we're just going through the motion. We're going to be cut soon. It was like, no, we're going to finish this thing out. And that's, that's bold, you know? It is what it is. And I'm not, not going to sit back and go, Oh, okay. That's your decision. I'm, I'm cool with that. <laughs> that's not going to happen in, in this guy. <laughs> with the amount of passion that you have put into that program for the last 40 years, there's no way that anyone would expect you to support that decision. And the way your guys have handled this, it's just a testament to their character. You know what it's forced me to do, Rick? It's forced me to revisit all of these life philosophies that we've been talking about. And it's like, okay, of pushing them to the ultimate limit, right? <laughs> Within my own system. And they've all stood the test of time. It's been great. You know, I've kind of gone through the stages of, of grieving, right? You know, pissed off, disappointed, sad, whatever. And now it's like, all right, this is a piece of adversity that's been thrown my way. How do you adjust on the fly? And that's what I'm in the process of doing right now. And it's given me a lot of hope and passion to, to kind of redefine Minnesota gymnastics. So we're not going away. We're staying as a club program, a competitive club program. I got some commitments from some of the guys on the team that are going to be here. It's like, yeah, I'll compete this club program. I got kids that are interested in coming, you know, that just maybe just not quite able to get that division one spot on a team because there's so few of them anymore. Kind of like this Mike Burns when he was in high school, like a guy who really can't do much, but I think he's got some, he's got something in the tank that we can, we can tap into, right? I'm really looking forward to running a competitive program that's going to make, not so sure uh, I care about making the university proud because I feel like I've been dealt a raw deal there, you know, but I'm going to make the Minnesota gymnastics program proud. And I'm going to make the 118 years of Minnesota gymnastics that have gone into what we are now, something that's not going to die. And that's my commitment. You know, I'm going to do that. That's such a great perspective, Mike, and it's honorable. But I find it ironic that the University of Minnesota was selected to host the NCAA Division I championships this year, April 16th and 17th. Can you share something about that? Well, we're going to put on a hell of a show. Before all this COVID went on, I'm thinking, all right, we're going to have we're gonna have the biggest, best crowd ever. We're going to pack this place. It's going to be crazy. We're going to get all of our alumni back. And it's just like our alumni are coming back, but they can't get into the gym. The way the state mandates are and the size of our facility, basically, they're only going to allow like 150 people into the facility, which, you know, you think, oh, that's awful. But, you know, some sports, they don't let anybody in. So I feel like, all right, we're okay with that. You know, we'll make it work. We're going to have a great time with it. We're going to make it work. We're going to make it memorable. We're going to, you know, we're going to have a good send off. 
it does seem kind of fitting for you to end your coaching legacy there at the University of Minnesota with a bang at a big event like the NCAA championships. I'm sure you have some unbelievable memories over the last 40 plus years, but do you have any memories that stand out? Well, it's easy to look at the successful competitions you've had and, you know, uh, we you know we finished second that year in 2018. That's pretty hard to not look at that as one of the highlights. Uh, we won the Big Ten regular season championship in 2019. That was pretty cool. You know, honestly, in the many many years I've been coaching, it's really hard to get a team to have every routine be a hit routine. You know, I mean, just I mean, you you anticipate that somebody's going to miss something, right? It's just just the nature of the beast. And I've been coaching, you know, some 40 some years and it's, it's happened three times where we hit hundred percent. One time when I was at the university of Michigan as assistant coach, and that time we won the national championship. Uh, one time we did it here when we hosted big tens in 2013, I think we were probably like middle of the pack at the big 10. We ended up third, we made the podium. So that was a, that was a good time. And then the, the last time we did it was when we took second at the NCAA championships in 2018 those moments from a coaching standpoint are kind of what you're, you strive for, but you, you seldom get to a point where everybody on the team and that one particular night at the most important night, right. At these big championship meets that it happens. And there's a whole lot of times it didn't happen, but those three times are pretty <laughs> memorable. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to be part of that and the guys that were part of that, that's something when we do senior night, I always send a little survey out, you know, get some information. Hey, what was your most memorable moment? And it's always revolves around these peak performance moments as a team. And it's not about individual stuff. It's all about the team. And that's the beauty of college gymnastics because all of these kids come from club programs, not team high school programs, but club programs where the team aspect is in some clubs, it's good. And some it's not because it's like, Hey, there's only one kid who's a senior in high school is at this level. And there's all these little munchkins running around, you know, that he trains with. So you get to college and all of a sudden you become part of something bigger than yourself. And it's powerful, man. And it's like, you can feel the power of your teammates helping you succeed when you're out there competing, especially when you like run into some struggles, maybe in the middle of your routine. I mean, it's, you've seen it. The guy starts to struggle on pummel. The whole team just starts like, ah, pushing as much of their positive energy into this kid to get back on track. Right. And I think that's the beauty of what sports is about is, People coming together for like a common cause that's going to create some pretty amazing memories. Well, Coach Burns, it's really been exciting for me to watch your guys in circumstances like that support each other. Definitely one of my favorite memories in terms of being a spectator at a sporting event. And our time is winding down here, but it's also been such a privilege to work with you and your athletes over the years. So thank you so much. Well, Rick, you know, and honestly, a lot of of these philosophies I have and I, th- I think they were in there, but in the time I've spent with you, just in our conversations, your meetings with my team, and just knowing who you are and what you do and the, and the way you attack things, you've helped me kind of clarify these philosophies in my life and, and actually go, oh, yeah, I just got to kind of think about it. It's like, I've kind of been doing that, but now I'm actually going to define what it is I've been doing. You know, so you've helped me bring out the definitions of some of these philosophies in my life. So I appreciate that. Thanks for the encouragement, Mike. I appreciate the feedback. And I've said it before that it's just been such an honor to work with the gymnastics program at the University of Minnesota, both the women's and the men's team. Just top-notch athletes and top-notch coaches. It's just really been an honor. Thank you so much. And thanks for joining us. 
University of Minnesota Gopher men's gymnastics team, Mike Burns. I hope something in this podcast has spurred you on to take your life to the next level. Please be sure to share this podcast and follow so you don't miss the next and following episodes. Have a great day.